the gospel story we've just heard takes place over the few days immediately following an execution. By the end of our gospel reading, everyone is celebratory. By the end of the gospel reading, all the disciples are in fine Easter form, drinking their Easter mimosas and sporting their Easter hats. By the end of the reading, everyone, even crusty and doubtful Thomas, has seen the resurrected Jesus and rejoiced. But at the beginning of the reading, at the beginning, there are no mimosas in sight and no rejoicing. At the beginning of the reading, the disciples are tired and afraid. They're so afraid that they've gotten together in an obscure upper room and locked themselves in. They've bolted the door behind them. They're not generically afraid. They're afraid that they might be arrested, just like Jesus had been arrested. They're afraid because they have seen just how far the power of the state can reach, that it can reach to executing people in their community. And they're afraid, frankly, that they might be executed themselves. The disciples are afraid because they have cast their lot with the crucified one. And after an execution, that's a frightening place to be, allied with the one who was executed. So I am a guest here. Thank you for welcoming me here last night and today. I am a guest in Little Rock. I live in faraway North Carolina. And yet I have been watching Little Rock, as many in the nation have, watching Little Rock tangle with this question of state execution over the last few weeks, as many have across the nation. I've been following the actions of elected and appointed officials in this state and the actions of attorneys in this state. And I've been following the words and actions of the bishop of this diocese and of the dean and clergy of this cathedral and of the many faithful people who have come to this building, to this sacred place, to pray and vigil at this moment in our life as a nation, this moment when the state exercises its power to kill one of its citizens. I say all of that because I want this congregation to know that you are being the very best thing a cathedral can be. You have given not just leadership locally, you've not only given space for people in this city to pray, people who might or might not be members of this congregation. You have also given a witness that has been powerfully inspiring to people all over the country. In 2005 and 2006, we went through something very similar in North Carolina. 
a string of executions and a lot of people praying and taking to the streets and vigiling in an effort to protest and try to prevent those executions from happening. But a number of men were finally executed, one of them just a few days after Easter Sunday. And in North Carolina, for many of the people who were praying and hoping that the governor or the courts would halt the executions, there were a lot of emotions. There were moments of rejoicing when it looked like the executions might be called off, and there were feelings of serious defeat when the executions went ahead. When we're praying, when we think we're praying faithfully for something really basic, the preservation of life, when we're praying, we're vigiling, and the state puts someone to death despite our prayers, frankly, there can be a real tiring of the spirit. There can be a real wearying of the faith. You know, when you come to a biblical reading and you're not quite sure what to make of it, a good question to ask is, who do I identify with in this story? Which of these characters in this story is in a situation that's kind of like the situation that I am in? Sometimes that's not such an easy question to answer, but this morning I think it is. Where are we in the story we just heard from the Gospel of John? We are exactly that community of disciples gathered together after an execution and wondering if there are going to be more executions. The disciples have watched the state put Jesus to death, and the disciples know that they have cast their lot with Jesus, and they are huddled together behind a locked door talking about what to do. And someone has told them that Jesus has been raised. And frankly, that's just too unbelievable. The disciples are too overwhelmed by the events of the last few days to entertain what that could even mean, this claim that Jesus has been raised. And over the course of the afternoon, one or the other of the disciples says, do you think it might be true, maybe, about Jesus being resurrected? And he's always just cut off with a withering glare from the other disciples. Mostly, what the disciples are feeling is tired. And they're feeling, what just happened here? We prayed and prayed, and then they taper off into confused exhaustion and humming through that tiredness is the fear that there might be more executions because after all, once the state gets going on these execution tears, who knows? And then it's so confusing who's in charge. There's this court and that court. There's Pilate's court and the religious court, and you'd have to have a law degree, frankly, to understand which court had standing to decide what to do, and so really all they can do is pray. And then comes this story that Jesus has been resurrected. But if he's been resurrected, the disciples say to one another, where is he? Why are we in this locked room scared if he's been resurrected? Here are the disciples having watched an execution 
And they are wondering what these stories of Jesus being raised could possibly mean. To put this another way, we've all just lived through six weeks of Lent. And we did all of our Lenten things. We gave up chocolate or wine. And maybe we came to church on Holy Thursday or Good Friday. We've, we've experienced Good Friday, the day that the church specifically sets aside for us to focus on the Roman state's execution of Jesus. And now we're supposed to be done with all of that. Now we've come out the other side, and we're into the season of Easter. And during Easter, we say things like, the resurrection of Jesus has changed the cosmos. And we say, death, where is thy sting? Just this morning in our opening hymn, we sang the phrase, death is conquered. We are into Easter, and we are supposed to be done with death and done with executions and done with crosses, but we live in a world that is full of crosses. We live in a world haunted by crosses. 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus changed the cosmos, the mother of all bombs has recently been dropped. And North Korea's deputy UN ambassador is warning that thermonuclear war could break out any moment. And just yesterday, a 26-year-old man was shot to death while sitting in his car on Marshall Street over in Jonesboro. And here we are ourselves, one block from the governor's mansion. And it's Easter. And we know that in some real way, death has been conquered by the resurrection of Jesus, and yet we know there are crosses all around us. That is a soul-wearying place to be. To be sure, the execution of Liddell Lee and any of the executions that may be carried out next week those executions are not primarily about us. They are primarily about the men executed and those men's families, and they are primarily about the original victims' families whom the state hopes will be given a kind of closure through execution. But if these executions are not primarily about us, they do touch us. They touch us even up in North Carolina. It's not just those intimately involved who find that they need, during such a time as this, the solace of the presence of the resurrected God. It is all of us, all of us taxpayers, all of us citizens, all of us witnesses. We all need the solace of God's presence with your vigils and your prayers, this church has helped the rest of the nation see something over the last few weeks. This church has helped the rest of us see that the state's executions are not business as usual. They are crosses. And this church has helped us see that the proper response to execution is always lament, 
lament about the executions themselves, but also lament that we live in a world where crimes occur in the first place, lament that we live in a world that is riddled with violent death. In that way, this community has really helped the rest of us. You have helped us focus our prayers from afar. Perhaps more than at any other time, in a season of executions, Easter is a triumphant relief and a deep relief. Because finally, Easter means that God is healing all of this. All the horrors, all the threats of war, all the shootings, all the executions, all the death. Sometimes that healing is very hard to see. And sometimes we rightly wonder why God is taking so long with the cure. But we do know, as Christians, the core thing we know is that in this resurrection that occurred so many centuries ago, through that resurrection, God is healing the universe. Through that resurrection, each of us is being healed, and Liddell Lee is being healed, and Deborah Reese is being healed, and even the crosses themselves are being healed. I think God is turning the crosses back into olive trees, because in Jesus Christ is resurrection from the dead. In the meantime, though, someone has been put to death by our government. And regardless of what theoretical views about the death penalty one holds, when that actually happens, we all need the solace of the living God. We all need the comfort of the resurrection. We all could use a visit from the resurrected Lord right about now. Think how solacing it could be right now to actually be able to touch Jesus as Thomas was able to touch him. In our gospel story, Thomas was discontent and upset and afraid, and it is the mere invitation to touch Jesus that brings him some comfort. I'm sure you all read, as I read, the news reports of Liddell Lee's last meal. He didn't request a steak or a pimento cheese sandwich. He requested communion. He requested the Eucharist. That's a way that we, living so many centuries after Thomas, that's a way that we touch and are touched by the living Jesus. In the Eucharist, we touch him with our hands and with our lips. Those are powerful pictures, at least I find them powerful. The picture of Thomas and Liddell Lee seeking solace in touching the Lord. We are turning to the table ourselves. As we turn, know what a powerful gift in your prayers this community has given to those of us far off over the last few weeks. And as we turn to the table, know that this table is one place where the resurrected Lord 
will always meet you, always touch and solace you as you pray, as you are wearied, as you wait for the time when the good work of healing that was begun in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is complete. Amen. <laughs>